we're going to do actually instead of the baptisms because of the weather we're going to finish the series on the Big Ten. If you've been around the church for a while you'll know that we are preaching through the Ten Commandments um, and seeing what they speak into our lives and how that affects us today and actually we're going to finish it today with the last one, number ten. Um, if you've missed some of the others they're all on the website um, www.kingschurchlewis.co.uk and we're in Exodus chapter 20. If you'd like to borrow a Bible and follow along if you wave someone will bring one to you. Um, if not, you can find it in Exodus chapter 20. And in these red Bibles, we are going to be on page 78. If that helps you find it, right near the start of the Bible. And this is the last one, the last one, page 78. We're Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. The very last of these big Ten Commandments God gives us. It says this, You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Seems very straightforward, doesn't it? Don't covet things. I think what we need to do is work out what coveting is, uh, first of all. I remember as a teenager, for no particular reason, I was trying to work something out in a book that I'd read, and it talked about the Tenth Commandment. I had a look, and it said, don't covet, and I thought, well, I'm no... I'm no better off than when I started from. I don't really understand what this means. I suppose the easiest way of thinking about what coveting means, coveting is wanting something that isn't yours, but in a bad way. Yeah? It's, not every, it's not everything's bad. If I'm, if I'm sitting there and someone's eating a really nice sandwich, it's okay to go, that's a nice sandwich. I think I'd like one too. That's all right. I can go and buy one. If you bump into them, go, oh, Nice jeans. Where did you get them? I'll go and get one. That's not coveting either, is it? That's fine. That's just kind of um, picking it up. But coveting is when you want something that isn't yours, that someone else has got. It's kind of like jealousy. It's in a bad way. It's a kind of thing about, oh, I wish I had that job. Or, oh, I wish that was me. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated that you've got that thing and I really want it. And there's a sense in which if I could grab it, it's, it's like I envy you because you've got a better car than me. And I I wish my car was as good as yours. I wish my job was as good as yours. I wish my house was as good as yours. I wish I had your looks. I wish I had your physique. I wish I had your income. I wish I had your social skills. I wish I had your friends. But not in a, he's a good guy, I'll try and be a bit like him, or she's nice, but in a kind of a bad way. Do you know what I mean? There's something inside you that's slightly unpleasant about it. It's like, oh, if if only I could kind of take that from you. Now, we obviously have to go beyond the passage which says, don't cover your neighbour's ox or donkey. Um, does anyone's neighbour have an ox or donkey? Is anyone, does anyone live next door to maybe a farm or a small holding? There you go. If you're visiting, it's me. I've got chickens. They're brilliant. Actually, they're superb. I don't think they really enjoyed the snow very much, but um, they've got to take the rough with the smooth, haven't they, really? Um, It's kind of, I'm going to think about this as if it was mine, as if I could take it, as if I could grab it. And you'll notice it's not just material things he's talking about, not just, oh, he's got a better house than me. It says, don't covet your neighbour's wife. It's it's, it's not just, it's it's literally, oh, he's a better husband than my husband. My husband's a bit of a, you know, potato. He's sitting on the sofa all the time. He's a bit useless. It's not very romantic. Scratching his belly, never dresses up. I wish my husband was like that. I wish my wife was like that. I wish my kids were, were, were like those kids. Those kids are so well behaved. Mine are always bratty and rude. I wish I had those. It's not, it's not just physical things. It's not just I wish I had your income or your sharp suits. It's anything that you're looking at someone else and in a bad way, 
you're kind of wanting that for yourself. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem for Christians. We pretend it's not because as Christians we know that the, really, the golden rule is be nice, isn't it? So we've got to be nice and we've got to be smiley. And Oh, you've got a promotion at work. Oh, fantastic. Oh, you've managed to get yourself a boyfriend. Great. And inside you're thinking, I'll give you a job. I'll give you boyfriends. Because actually there's like, oh, I wish I could have that. And we're kidding ourselves if we think the minute we become Christians, suddenly, oh, coveting, that's not a problem because we're so nice and open-hearted and generous. I think coveting is something we've got to battle against our whole lives. I've got a whole list of stuff that I have to fight against coveting. I see people, sometimes when I'm fed up with my job, I look at other people, I wish I had your job. Your job looks great. Driving around in a white van, building stuff. I just... (laughs) I wish I could do that. I look at other people and think, oh, I wish I had your skills. You know, the way that you play music and do all that sort of stuff and sing. I wish I could do that. I wish I had your professional capabilities. I wish I had an iPhone. Let's not make this personal. <laughs> These are hypothetical examples. <laughs> but it's the reality of life, isn't it? Do you not find that? Do you not find that you see other people and it's like, ah, oh, that was me. If I could do that. We've got to battle against it. Sometimes just even hearing about something and it springs up and so-and-so's got engaged. Oh, I wish that was me. But in a bad way. Just seeing something every time. Someone gets his iPhone out and makes a call. That should be mine. (laughs) What we're going to do this morning is we're going to give you some weapons to fight against coveting. Okay? We're not going to to just say, don't covet. Oh, all right, I won't then. I didn't realise it was wrong. We've all... We've been doing it, we've been battling it, we've been knowing it's wrong, but we haven't really been dealing with it. So what we're going to do is give you some weapons against it. But we need to understand really what the root cause of coveting is. The root cause of this thing that makes me want someone else's job or someone else's phone or someone else's looks or someone else's skills is actually a dissatisfaction in what God has already given us. That's the root issue. The the root issue is... I'm not satisfied with the way God has chosen to dispense things to me. I deserve something other than what God has given me. I need something more than what God has given me. You can find this right the way back if you read the the very start of where everything goes wrong for humanity in Genesis chapter 3. You get Adam and Eve and the kind of temptation is, look, you can eat some of that fruit. You can be like God. The correct answer would be, well, actually God has given me everything I need. I'm, I'm happy here in the garden. It's nice. There's lots of trees. I've got a relationship with God. I've got everything I need. But the temptation is you can have more than God has chosen to give you. You, you. Surely you're not satisfied with what God has given you. Surely you want more. And that was the temptation that caused them to eat the fruit. And to say God's choice of what I should and shouldn't have and be and should not be is not good enough. It's the role that says, God, you have dispensed where people live, what people do, what people have, the skills, the talents, the looks. God, you've determined that, but I think you've made a big mistake because I should have more. I should be better looking. I should be fitter. I should be more talented. I should have more money. I should have a better home, a better wife, a better car, a better job, better kids, a better phone, better clothes. God, I'm not satisfied with what you've given me. I'm not satisfied with my salary or my car, or my looks, or my boyfriend. 
That's the root of it, isn't it? Actually, God, you've done this wrong. You should have given me more than I've already got. It's a, you, you can even, I mean, you even get it, spiritual things. I'm not satisfied with my role in the church. I'm not satisfied. Oh, I wish I had his relationship with God. I wish everybody thought about me like they think about her. And it digs away at us. It's like a kid at Christmas. Well, it's like me at Christmas. I, did. <laughs> I, I remember this thing, one of my earliest Christmas memories. And I love a bit of Christmas. Everyone loves Christmas, apart from the miserable people. And we all love Christmas. But... I remember distinctly this Christmas where me and my brother, it was, it was my grandparents' house, we were really little, we were small, and we both got these, there was two big boxes, and they were great. It's like, oh, this is going to be a great present. And we opened, opened them both up, and I can't even remember which way around it was, but someone had got, you know, some kind of big light. It was like, you know those little Playmobil things? Do you remember those? Yeah? The guys that sort of can move their arms, but they can't do their legs, can they? So when they have to walk, they have to do it like that. <laughs> Wonder why they're not swing the arms wildly, still not getting anywhere. And it was like there's an ambulance there and a police car there. And straight away, I wish I had that. You've just been given this, I want that. And when we go, God, I wish I had her looks. We're like the spoiled kid. Well, I don't want what you've given me, I want that. Oh, I wish I had I wish I had her husband. I don't want what you give me, I want that. I wish I could do what he does. I don't want I, not, what you've given me to do, God, isn't enough. I want that. And actually, that's really not what a parent loves to hear on Christmas Day, is it? I wish I didn't have I don't want that. I want that. You've given me the wrong thing. We need to realize it doesn't look good on us, it doesn't sit on us. At root of it, what we're saying is actually this if I had that, I would be happier. If I had her looks, I would be a happier person. If I had his salary, I would be more fulfilled. If I had his role in the church, I would be more fulfilled. If I had kids like they have, I would be more satisfied. That's what we're saying. That's why we do it, because we think these things are going to do us good and they're going to make us happy. The desire to be happy is okay. In fact, it's a good thing. It's not wrong to think, I want to be happy, I want to be fulfilled, I want to be satisfied. The trouble is we look in the wrong places. We look for false saviours impersonators coming in to rescue us from our loneliness dissatisfaction lack of fulfilment from our boredom to rescue us from our feelings of inferiority and insecurity insecurity that's the one insecurity and we look to these things and we think if I had a marriage like they do I would be happier if I had a car like that I'd be happier if I could buy as much as she buys I'd be happier if I could do what he does, I'd be happier. And actually, we're looking for the wrong thing to save us from the problems in our life. Who's our saviour? Jesus. Jesus. He's our saviour from sin and hell, right? Yeah? Is he also our saviour from dissatisfaction? Yeah? From unfulfillment? From loneliness? From boredom? From frustration? From insecurity? from inferiority. Yeah. Jesus saves us from everything we need to be saved from. When when the Bible talks about Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, it's not like, yeah, I'm going to save you from some stuff, but not everything you need to be saved from. Now, does that mean Jesus is going to save me, for example, um, from having to live in a country where it's really cold all the time? 
You know, and it is winter that reminds me why I, I so hate the country that we live in, the weather. I just can't bear it. No, no, Jesus is going to save me from everything I need to be saved from. He's not going to save me from everything that's inconvenient. He's, he's not going to... He's, do you understand? He's not a heavenly butler. He's carrying a tray around to make sure we've got everything we need. Let me help you, sir. But he's, if, there's, if there's something you need saving from, Jesus is going to save you from it. But the problem is we look for other things, don't we? I'm dissatisfied with my life, so maybe if I get a new haircut and makeover, then maybe I'll be more fulfilled. Maybe if I can have a kid, then I'll be really happy. Maybe if I find myself a husband, then I can be truly happy in life. No, no, you're looking at the wrong things. Those things are probably all great, but they're not going to save you ultimately because Jesus is your saviour. If you're a Christian, it's like, it's like drinking seawater. It just makes you more thirsty. If I can just, maybe I'll feel dissatisfied, I'll go out and do some retail therapy. For me, retail therapy would be burning a shop to the ground. I, can, <laughs> I hate shops. <laughs> but I've understood that some people like shopping. It's a nice way of enjoying themselves. You're crazy, but you like doing it. So you think, maybe I'll go and do some shopping. That'll save me from the way I feel. And you come home with some stuff and you feel good. But tomorrow, it doesn't feel any better, and the next day, and it hasn't filled the hole in your life because you're looking at the wrong things. God alone brings significance and security and real genuine happiness and peace inside and fulfilment. Our significance comes from Jesus. Our significance comes from the fact that God accepts us through Jesus. Not through what we do, but through who he is and what he's done for us. Our significance does not come from what we wear, or how we look, or what we've done. Or what we do in the church, or who we're with, or what we own, or what people think of us. Our significance comes from Jesus. If you're a Christian, and you're looking anywhere other than Jesus for your significance and your security then actually you're looking in the wrong place. You need to look to Jesus. If you're not a believer and you're trying to find significance and security and satisfaction and happiness anywhere else in life, you're missing it. You're missing Jesus. You're like trying, it's like trying to catch a cloud in a bottle. You know, Even if you can just get it in there and get the lid on, what have you got? You've just got a few drops of water. There's nothing there. It's a vapour. That looks so solid. I was up in the aircraft, you know, the other day, we're flying above the clouds. You look down, you really think, I could walk on those fellas. That looks great. It probably, I could even lie back in them and relax. That's so comfortable. And the fact that it's below freezing and uh, 35,000 feet up in the air wouldn't, wouldn't occur to me. But it looks so good. But you try and do it, you can't. There's nothing there. It's insubstantial. All these things that we look for to make us happy, they don't ultimately last. <coughs> It's like, it's like trying to grab the mist and it slips through your fingers. What can you grab onto that will never move, never disappear, never change, never let you down, never be taken from you? You can grab onto God. You can grab onto Jesus. If I build my significance on Jesus, nothing can ever change that. You can take my house, you can take my family, you can take my health, you can take my skills and my job and you can take my money, you can take my life but I've still got Jesus. That's why, in the first century, Christians joyfully went to their deaths at the hands of the Roman authorities. Because you can do what you like to me, but you can't take Jesus from me. That's why 
nearly 200,000 Christians a year across the globe, every year, in our times, are going to their deaths because of their faith in Jesus, knowing, you can't take this from me. You can take everything you can take, and I've still got Jesus. Do you know our culture has got a legal way of promoting covetousness? This is a problem we've got. We're Christians, uh, or people trying to do the right thing, and our culture actively promotes covetousness by advertising. Advertising, it, it works solely by creating dissatisfaction in you. You know, the advert comes up, and, in, you know, maybe it's an advert for, I don't know, it's an advert for a, a shaver, you know, a razor. And the guy comes up, and it's not so much he's got a, a smooth, shaved face. He's got the physique of Adonis. He's just this incredible guy. It's like Brad Pitt. And immediately, what do I feel? Oh, I, oh I'm not looking so good. And, and, and then probably there's, there's about five beautiful women hanging around him, helping him shave. I'm, I'm looking around. I've got one, you know. <laughs> and then he get, and he and then he he's finished shaving. He gets into his sports car and drives off to his fabulous job. Immediately, I'm dissatisfied. My life's not like that. I better buy the razor, then I'll be like that. <laughs> and put like that, you just think, you idiot. And yet, why do companies spend millions and millions and millions and millions of pounds on advertising? Because it does work. Because it gets under your skin, it slips into your psyche. I teach my kid, my kids, that all advertisers are liars. I, I teach them, I teach them exactly that. When you watch the adverts, this is someone trying to make you buy something you don't need. Because if I need it, I'll go out and buy it. I don't need someone to kind of turn up to me and say, you need to buy this, you need to buy this. All right, I'll go and buy it. And just as adverts promote this kind of coveting, I need that, I want that, that should be mine... You can fall into that trap just by looking at other people and people that you know and people you interact with. And you've got to bring it down to the bottom line. Who gives me all I need? Jesus. Will he give us everything we need? Yeah. Will there be stuff that we need that Jesus will withhold from us because he's not that nice? No. It says Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I have no needs outstanding. But I really feel like I could do with an iPhone and a six-pack and a kind of a firm chin <laughs> and musical skills and a sports car. Do I need that? No. Because God has given me all I need in Jesus. Well, look, is it, I mean, coveting, all right, we've talked about what it is, but seriously, is it, is it a problem? Is it really that serious? It's not like murder, is it? You know, we've gone from don't murder, don't commit adultery, to don't covet. Is it, what, why, is, why is it such a big problem, really? It's a big problem, first of all, because it leads to other sins. If you cover something that's not yours, it leads to theft, if you don't rein it in. You cover a relationship with someone that's not appropriate for you to, it leads to adultery. David, I mean, listen, if you think you're doing all right. David was one of the greatest guys in the Old Testament and he coveted someone else's wife. I, wanted, I, want, I want to be with her. And so he committed adultery with her. He arranged a murder to get rid of the husband uh, to hide the evidence that he'd gotten this girl pregnant. All starts inside, in the heart. That's why it's serious. When you cover, when you look at someone else and I wish I had her looks and I wish I had his physique, 
and, and I wish I could do what he did. Actually, you're on a road that can lead to some really bad places. Coveting opens all sorts of doors into a whole mansion full of other sins and wickedness. So you need to deal with it. You need to deal with it in your heart right at the start. You don't just roll on and on and on and on. Coveting's a problem as well, because not only does it lead to other sins, but it makes life unsatisfying. If you are constantly coveting and envying and wishing you had what someone else has, it will rob you of the happiness in what you already have. Yeah? If you're sitting there... I mean, let me give you an example straight out of the text. Don't covet your neighbour's wife. If you're a married man and you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm married, but she's a lot prettier, or she's funnier, or she seems to kind of just understand me a little bit better, it will rob you of the fact that you're married to the best person for you to be married to, your wife, that you promised to be with. And if you're coveting, oh, I want to be with her instead of her, you're, 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 you're being robbed of the very gift of God that is in front of you. If you wish you had someone else's job, you will never appreciate that actually God has put me here and blessed me with this job, with this house, with this body, with this role in the church, with these kids, with this family. It just steals it away from you. Everything else can be taken from you, but we can't take away Jesus. As people, we are, we're just dry and thirsty inside. That's the way we are. We're looking for refreshment and satisfaction. But the problem that we have is that we drink out of puddles instead of turning the tap on and getting the fresh water. The problem we have as people is we try and get what we can only get through God. And a Christian is someone who said, Jesus, I'm going to connect with you because you alone can satisfy me. You alone can deal with my biggest problem, which is my alienation from God. And listen, if you're not a Christian and you're thinking, well, is it like a religious thing? Is it a... What? No, 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 no. It's about actually finding the reason for your existence. It's about connecting with God. It's about finding a source of water that will not make you thirsty again. It's about drinking something that satisfies you forever. That's what becoming a Christian is. Okay, let me tell you how to win, then we're done. This is coveting. We've looked at the roots of it, what it is, how it works, why it's a bad thing. I'm going to give you one, two, three, four quick little tips to fight coveting. These are weapons, if you like, um, that will deal with it. It's very hard to beat coveting because it's inside. It's an, in, an internal thing, isn't it? Uh, don't murder. All right, well, I'll make sure I don't walk around with a gun or a knife or a bottle. Um, and it'll probably be a lot easier not to do it. If this said, um, you know, if this said don't, don't walk on the grass... Well, that's fairly easy to do because I've got a fair degree of control over my physical body. Don't walk on the grass. All right, I won't walk on the grass. Don't smoke in the airport. All right, I won't smoke in the airport. Bizarrely, in the uh, Tel Aviv airport where we were waiting for the flight, every now and again, you know, like you know, in England it will say, don't smoke in the airport. Every now and again the tunnel will come on and say, uh, all passengers should beware, it's forbidden to carry weapons in the terminal. So, <laughs> If you need to remind people of that, there's a real problem, isn't there? <laughs> oh, do you know, I, I have brought a weapon with me after all. My mistake. Um, but coveting is difficult because it's internal. It's kind of, it's inside of us and the desires kind of spring up. The secret is very simple. The secret is always be grateful and thankful for what you have. Don't try hard not to covet someone else's husband because he looks better than your husband. You know, I mustn't covet him, He's, I mustn't. No, the secret is be grateful and thankful for your husband. 
The secret is to be grateful and thankful for your life, for your job. And it's not just a kind of a, well, all right, I'm grateful. It's like, I'm going to work at this. I'm going to work hard at being grateful for the home that God's put me in, the family that he's put me in, for the skills that he's given me. Working hard at being grateful is actually going, God, thank you for these things. It's praying and thanking God for them regularly and generating this kind of gratefulness. It's the, it's the big things. You start with big things. God, thank you for my salvation in Jesus. Thank you that you've saved me and forgiven my sins. Thank you I'm going to be with you forever in heaven. Thank you I've reconnected with God. Thank you for the cross. These are all things to be grateful for. I mean, why forget the biggest things in life when we're looking about should we be grateful? But, God, thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for the church I'm in. Thank you for the home I've got. Thank you for the food I eat. It's not a religious thing to say thank you before a meal. Oh, we better say grace. Mm. Thank you for this food. Did you like the food? Thank you, God, for it. I guess you could say it makes more sense to do it at the end, doesn't it? That way, if it was awful, you could say, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of grateful, God, but it wasn't that tasty. <laughs> Actually, don't do that at home if your wife cooks you a meal. That's, that's a bad thing to do. But do you understand? Let's work at being grateful. Let's work at actually focusing on the stuff that God has given you rather than what he's not given you. Don't just assume or take for granted anything. Thank you I've got a car that gets me around. Thank you I've got some friends who care about me. Thank you I have got some stuff I can do uh, in the church. Thank you I've got a job that does bring some money in. Thank you for the health that I've got. Even if you're struggling with ill health, thank you that I've got some aspects of health. You know? There's so much that is there. And yet we can just walk around and just filter out all the good and we just look at the bad. Thank you for a bottle of wine. Thank you for a pint of beer. Thank you for sunshine. Thank you for an evening sitting with some friends watching something on the telly. It's not very spiritual. Yes, it is. Everything should be received with thanksgiving to God. So we work hard at it. I would say you need to delight yourself in God. Work hard at delighting yourself in God. Daily. That means I'm going to take some time out just to focus on him and to worship and to thank him and to pray to God. If the only contact you have with God is when you turn up at a meeting with other Christians, quite quickly you're going to lose sight of how superb God is and how much he's done for you for you to be grateful of. That's why having a regular little devotional time, a little slot in the day, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes in the day where you're just going to connect with God, read your Bible, pray, worship, is such a good idea just helps you keep it oh yeah he's so good and I've got so many good things you need to make sure you're exploring the riches of God don't be satisfied with well God is good and has forgiven my sins so yeah I guess I've pretty much got God taped there's a parable in the Bible where Jesus talks about a man who found this really expensive pearl that's a fabulous pearl I want that and he sold everything he had to get this pearl of great price do you think he then just put it on a drawer just put it in the drawer and forgot about it He's sold everything he's got to get this pearl. He's going to be looking at it, put it in a pride of place, and he's now completely empty home because he sold everything else to get it. He's, I'm just going to look at that. I'm going to enjoy that. With God, he's supposed to be the pearl of great price to us. He's supposed to be everything to us. We don't, give, we don't get salvation in Christ. Oh, that's so wonderful. I just put it in a drawer until I need it to get to heaven. Let's look on it, think about it, delight ourselves in it. The best thing about being a Christian is not that you get to go to heaven... The best thing about being a Christian is that you get to know God. And you can start that now. And you can enjoy that now. 
think thirdly, how to win, we need to give generously. We need to give generously. Because nothing breaks this, I want that, and I want that, and I want that, more than actually I'm going to see that other people's needs are more important than mine. I'm going to give away. Actually, maybe, maybe she would like this. Maybe I can do that. Giving financially is a brilliant way to break coveting. Because actually it's inside, it's doing something that says, actually it's not all about me and what I want and what I think I'm going to get. So giving is, I mean, giving to the local church that you're part of is so important to the work of the kingdom. But also, it goes beyond that, let's just give to bless other people. If you struggle with coveting and with kind of a jealous envy of what other people have, particularly in the area of material things, what I recommend to you is to give something away. Give some money away. Give a possession away. Because actually saying, these things don't define me, these things don't give me what I need, I'll give it away. Not necessarily, let's not like, let's find someone who's absolutely on the breadline and starving, no one, then I'll keep my money myself. Be like God. Does God give you the bare minimum that you need? Does he? No. He blesses you and gives you good things and good things and extra things and treats and bonuses. So why not do that to someone else? Doesn't even have to be a Christian. Anybody, just someone think, wouldn't it be good to bless them with that? Bless them, there you go. Take yourselves out for the evening. I'll come and do some babysitting with you. How would you like this? And just do good. Just be generous and give. And it breaks the kind of the, the sort of stingy, envious, covetous heart inside of you. I think we're going to finish now. I want to say this to, to conclude. If we've kind of chatted about coveting and the fact that it's a difficult thing inside to deal with. We've looked at some tips of, of how to break it and how to focus on being thankful and grateful. I want to say this. If you are a Christian, I genuinely want to challenge you really hard about where you find your satisfaction. Come on, be honest with yourselves. Do you get your satisfaction primarily from God or is he like an add-on? It, I mainly, in reality, do I get it from my job or my relationships or my hobbies? Or the things that I do and what I achieve. Come on, be honest with yourself. Where do you get it from? And if it's any of these things rather than God, I would really want to provoke you as a Christian to say, you're missing out. I, I can get more satisfaction from God than anything else. And I would challenge you to work at that and to even try and reorder stuff so that God becomes central in your life. And if you're not a Christian, I would like to kind of nudge you as well and to say, is it not time to grab hold of the one thing that will never be taken from you, that can never be lost, and the one thing that will give you the greatest satisfaction and purpose and meaning in life, which is a relationship with God through Jesus. And maybe today is the day you need to give your life to Jesus and to get the pearl of great price and to begin treasuring it. And if you need to do that, I want you to grab me or someone you know from the church And they'll tell you how to do that. I'm just going to pray and then we're done. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are everything we need. Literally, you are everything we need. Thank you you've given us so many good things so generously. And I pray you would help us to be people in our hearts who are grateful for that. And who don't fall into this trap of wanting what is not ours to have. I pray you'd help us to be fully satisfied in you. Amen.